Yes, welcome to the Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky Guys. We, 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 we are the Lanky Guys. We, we. And uh, we are embracing the happiness of the podcast genre. Is that Russian? It's a French. It sounds right. It's a French address. It sounds like a, a Russian guy trying to do a French accent. <laughs> I've been very skilled in my linguistic translations. You know what I realized? Your French, your Russian, and your Middle Eastern accents are all tiny variations on each other. They really are, yeah. Because it sounds like Borat a little bit, too. We are looking here today for a some... Um, yeah, same one. What do you call it? Uh, <laughs> Did somebody call you on your messenger? <laughs> no, I my get out phone. I push a button and it does stupid thing. It's really funny because he has a dumb phone. I do have a stupid phone as opposed to a smart phone. It, it, yeah, it's not just dumb. I got a it, flip phone. It's really it is it is actually fairly stupid. <laughs> it takes me like twenty minutes to send a text, a text message because <laughs> it's got the old T nine input. I don't know what that means. That's where you have to click like if you want like A oh, B yeah. and C. You yeah. go. Man, and then you have to wait if you want. <laughs> Do you know that they used to have Stop. before smartphones? They used to have these like Japanese competitions to see who could like, who would be the fastest T9 input, and they got so good at it. Yeah. That um, they developed keyboards for computers so that you could T9 in to do your papers because they were they were just so easy at typing it. They didn't even have to think. They didn't have to look. Wow. Yeah. That's that's something. I'm not there. I dictate my emails personally, but sometimes my emails they kind of come out sounding psycho because you know it's like when you <laughs> the talk dictation, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you talk to somebody, yeah. there's a lot of context that's supplied by vocal tone, by facial expression, yes, um, and all these sorts of things. And so when you put it in an email, you're like, do I really sound like that? Well, you know, I don't know. Did you guys hear about all the crazy news that happened in the church this week? Oh my week? gosh, the current events that took place within the last seven days. Are Man, unbelievable. the newspapers are intense, busting out. Yes. Blowing yeah. wide the doors. We're saying that because um, we actually don't know um, what happened during this week because we're doing this a little bit early. A little bit early because I'm in England. England. As we speak. He's going to fly across the pond. Flying to the pond. It was like Charles. to paper. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I've, I'm bloody well. Yes, you know, Dickens. there are um, quite a few of our English listeners who I do not want to offend when I no. do such things. But um, there are quite a few different English accents. There's yes. the very polite ones. What's Cockney? The... That's my favorite. Can you do a Cockney? I can't do a Cockney. I heard. I don't even so, know what it is, really. Well, so um, we watched, you know the movie Mary Poppins? Yeah. We watched it a lot because we have little kids and they love it. But Dick Van Dyke, remember his? he was the chimney sweep? Yes. He was voted to have had the worst movie accent in the history of movies. In that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and if you listen to it, it's a terrible, terrible accent. But he's trying to do a Cockney accent. And I heard an interview once, and he said it was the reason it was so bad is because his, his accent coach was Irish. <laughs> so. Alas. Alas. Well, you know who else had an Irish accent coach? Was Joshua in the book of Joshua? <laughs> Good segue. Yeah, nice. Job, <laughs> you, man. you know, it's like a, it's it's the Hebrew Irish yeah. in, inside of him. I don't. Let's cross it the, the old Jordan. That's it. I, I uh, we've removed the reproach from you <laughs> from Egypt. Yar. Mine Yar. almost became a a pirate accent, which is close to all accents, because they were all pirates at one time. That's true. There Is were it true? Viking pirates. There were Moroccan pirates. That's only two. There were English pirates. No, there weren't. And then were there? There were Icelandic pirates. Really? 
Are you just making this up? Then there were Russian pirates. I think you're making it up. There was Thailandish. My ancestors were Polish pirates. <laughs> They're Polish pirates. Which doesn't make sense. They were cruising the Baltic all day and all night. <laughs> Ready to jack some fools. <laughs> yeah, man. All those people coming from Sweden. Yeah, dude. Those Swedes, man. Those Swedes, man. They it was the Swedes that kept that kept beating up Our Lady of Chestehova. Burned down her church, tried to slice her face. Man. Come on, Swedes. I know. I think they repented later on. Good. And the Poland forgave them. But oh. I still I still harbor a tiny bit of resentment. You know, so. that that's that that's na- nationalistic pride. I know. So Joshua also spoke Spanish. Yes. He, no, he didn't. He spoke Spanish in an Irish accent to his Hebrew friends <laughs> in, in the land of Canaan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we get some great readings this week. Yoshua. Uh, Yoshua. Yoshua. Joshua. Which is really interesting. There, the, there's um, um, Father, Father, Brother Anthony of the Transfiguration of the Beatitudes. We gave him a shout out last week, too. Did we? Um, it did. And uh, he, You know, I've known Father Anthony of the Transfiguration since preschool. Whoa. Yeah. He Tony, was, we called him. Tony. Yeah, and he, uh, he gave a, uh, he was like talking uh, to a synagogue in New York. They wanted to talk about the, you know, Catholic Beatitudes roots and Jewish the stuff that they mm. were doing. And, and one of the things that they, they said, can you pronounce this prayer for worldwide salvation in, in Hebrew? And, uh, and, and so God saves Yeshua. Yeshua. So, he, so, he, so he has to send Yeshua to the whole Israelite nation. He was like totally taken aback as he was doing it. Oh, he didn't realize he didn't, what he what, was saying? Well, he did. I mean, he, as, he, but he didn't realize that. As he was wow. saying it. And then he was like, dude, I'm pronouncing Yeshua over all of these people. Wow. And he was really kind That's of. That's hardcore. He, yeah, he thought it was really beautiful. Yeah, that is beautiful. Cool. So Go, Tony. Father Anthony. Father Anthony. Father Anthony, Anthony of the Transfiguration. Oh, yeah. And so Yeshua is going to do some things today to drive us into the new land. You sound cantankerous. Incidentally. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back to that. Okay. All right. So Joshua chapter, f- what is it, five? five? Joshua chapter five. Th- this is a really cool scene. And this is a, one of those where context is really important. So it says, the Lord said to Joshua, today I have removed the reproach of Egypt from you. Yank. So that's kind of, <laughs> whoop. So that's our, our kind of introduction. <laughs> And then you get the narrative. While the Israelites were encamped in Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated the Passover on the evening of the 14th of the month. Now, here, here's the context of this. In the book of Joshua, we just get this tiny little snippet. This <laughs> that was a big one. <laughs> Put away your cigarettes, Grandpa. Yeah, no kidding, man. Sorry. Um, so this is just after – here's the context. Uh, the whole – generation essentially of the Israelites that came out of Egypt during the Exodus has now pretty much died except Joshua and Caleb. And now the whole nation is going to cross over the Jordan river into the promised land. So they've just arrived for the first time. The whole nation has just gone to the promised land. And there's actually a really, there's a really neat story that goes with this. So, you know, they, they cross over the Jordan river. If anybody's been uh, to the Holy Land, you've been to the Holy Land, right? I have. The place where they cross over the Jordan river is where it's, it's believed to be the place where Jesus was baptized. And if you remember that spot, which I assume you, you did, you go to the place where you? I did. So if you think about where the Jordan River was there, yeah, I mean it, this is purported to be this giant miracle that they crossed over this part of the Jordan River. But if you remember that part of the Jordan River, you I mean you can almost jump over. That what, part. One, one guy did. Oh, I <laughs> know who. Yeah, and he yeah, fell. Yeah, Steve. Steve did that. Steve, shout out to Steve. We love Steve. We love you, Steve. And I, I, I used it in a homily not too long. It ago. was good. It was yeah. a good use. Yeah, man. 
Uh, well, he didn't really try to jump over the river. I mean, but I mean, really, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to it get across. Doesn't take a whole lot of effort. Now, that's so. So people read this and they're like, "Oh, you know, whoop de doo, they crossed the Jordan River." But what they don't point out. So a couple of things about this: the uh, the waterways in the Middle Eastern have changed in the last two thousand years, three thousand years, because of irrigation and the way that water is used. But one of the things we know, if you if you read the whole book of Joshua, there's evidence to suggest that this happened during the springtime. And in the springtime, this time period, the Jordan River went, you know, nowadays, in most times of the year, it runs about 15 to 20 feet wide, give or take, in that spot. But in the springtime, it would be huge. It would be almost 100 feet wide. It would be Whoa. super, super deep. It would, be, it would be in flood stage. And one of the things... Um, one of the things that was going on, so if you're in Jericho, remember, we already know from the story of, remember, Rahab the prostitute. No, is it Rahab? Who was the prostitute? The one who, uh, who, who, har- who took harbored, the, harbored yeah, the, the, spies. the spies. Was it Rahab? I think it is. Yeah, well, the prostitute, remember, she said that all, the whole nation, everybody here knows about you guys. They saw what you did. They saw how God freed you. They saw the crossing of the Red Sea, all this stuff. So everybody in the promised land knows that they're coming. And everyone was probably freaked out. Yeah. Jericho was going to be the first to go down. And the story of Jericho is what comes right after this little scene that we get where they, you know, they go around the city and they blow the trumpets and the whole city crumbles and all that stuff. There's a great VeggieTales version of it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, it's good. But um, so if you're in Jericho and you're seeing the nation of Israel across your borders and you're like, OK, these guys are coming to get us. But guess what? It's flood stage of the Jordan River. Good luck. What are you going to do? How are you going to get across it? And they believed that the god Baal was the god who was responsible for the waters and all this stuff. So the miracle of the story is that in flood stage, there's no way to cross the Jordan River. It's huge, at least in that time. It's it's kind of like um, that uh, into the into the wild book. Yeah, totally. Where, where he he's out and in he's the wilderness and, and he's stuck because he's trying to cross the river and it ain't right. gonna happen. And he's totally stuck. Yeah. But he, but even bigger than that, I mean, a whole nation couldn't get. So you get Jericho. They're probably thinking, ha ha, what are you gonna do? Baal's gonna protect us. And then you have literally a parting of the re- of the, the the Jordan River, and it parts again, and the whole nation is able to cross from one side to another. Again, you read this kind of at face value, and you're like, oh, it's the Jordan River. It's not that big at that point. Great. God parted it so they didn't have to jump. You know, <laughs> But it was a massive flood stage, roaring river, like the size of the Mississippi or something. And they cross it, and you get the sense that everybody in Jericho is like, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, Our God didn't protect us. And what a lot of the ancient rabbis said is that this is an exact repeat of the Exodus story. Where in the Exodus story, you know, the story of the plagues, the 10 plagues, the locusts and the frogs and all that stuff. What they understood that to be was a shaming of all of the gods of Egypt to show that, you know, they worshipped the frogs and they worshipped the locusts and the Nile River and and all those gods were put to shame. And in the same way, now the God who controlled the rivers in Canaan, he's put to shame. And this river is parted and it's stopped by God and they're crossing over to the Jordan again. Shame, shame, we know your name. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> but the whole Exodus story is repeating itself now. You get another crossing of a sea, another parting of a river, another shaming of gods. So they've just arrived. And now Joshua is the new Moses because Moses has died now. And and part of the reason I think this happens is hold that... On, hold on, hold on. You're saying that Yeshua is the new Moses? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah. Jesus' name is Yeshua. Indeed. Just in case you were wondering. So, yeah. But part of what Joshua has to do, I mean, if you're Joshua, that would be a terrifying thing to think, okay, I've got to take over the shoes of Moses, the guy who just, you know, Archbishop Shapiro, who's a monumental figure in, our, in, in the Archdiocese of Denver. Archbishop Aquila had to come in and step into the shoes of a very loved 
man, that's got to be an intimidating thing to do. Yeah. And so Joshua has got to fill the shoes of Moses, of all people. And so I think part of what God is doing is showing, look, I'm going to do the same stuff through Joshua that I did through Moses, just so you know that this really is the guy that I've chosen. This really is the one that I've chosen to lead my people. So he gets to part a sea as well. So it's kind of a neat scene. So they've just crossed over. They have this new exodus, and now they're in Gilgal, and they're overlooking the the, the Jericho, the plains of Jericho that they're about to attack in a few days. And they celebrate the Passover, and that's kind of what this centers around. So again, what's going on? The whole story of Exodus is repeating itself. You get another Passover. But here's an interesting note about the Passover. Did you know that the, the Passover meal is only reported to have been celebrated? I, I'm sure it was celebrated all every year, but it's only recorded six times in the Old Testament. Really? So if you read the Old Testament, there's only six Passover feasts recorded. There's the first one, the, the Passover. There's this one. Later on, um, you know, there, there's what, four more. But it always is written about in times of major events in Israel's history. So now they've come into the promised land, there's a Passover. But only six times. So if you think about this, if there's only six Passovers in the Old Testament, seven is kind of the covenant number, the number of completion for the Hebrews. Yeah. When's the seventh Passover? Jesus. When Jesus does it at the Last and Supper. that is way intense, and that's going to cool. lead right into the the uh, gospel that we have today, totally. which is the prodigal son, totally. which is the throwing of the feast. Exactly. For the, old, for the youngest son, totally. eldest son, and boom. Totally. Here comes it. So it's cool. And, and you do the way that, um, and this this is, I think, where the common thread is for well, all they, these readings. Days, days of creation, too, because now we have the oh, seventh, yeah. seventh day. Seventh the day. Seven, I mean, it's like, man, you're just blowing my, you're blowing my exodus oh, over sweet. here. <laughs> Uh. (laughs) all right what do you you got oh 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 well there's more but wait there's more (laughs) there's the order now (laughs) so he said the way that this whole thing started right god says today i've removed the reproach from it from egypt from you so remember why did the nation of israel had to have to wander for 40 years in the wilderness so that they could get themselves free of the worship that they had been subjected to while they were in egypt exactly so what's god declaring now it's done. It's done. It's been forgiven. It's removed now. And so now they go into the promised land. Finally, they've been waiting for 40 years on the border. Now they're in. It's removed. You also read that they don't have to eat manna anymore. You know, manna, if you read the story carefully, manna was actually given as a punishment because they started griping and complaining. And so God gave them this bread that floated down from heaven. The, the Hebrew word manna yeah. um, actually literally means what is it? That's <laughs> how you translate that. So they looked and they're like, what is it? Like, well, let's... <coughs> So, you know, they, and so for 40 years, they're eating manna. So, you know, they've got banana bread and uh, man, manna witches. And... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's manana. Manana na. Manana kati. Manana. Manana kati. Manana kati. Anyway, I've stole those from Tim Gray. Jeff Cavins. Oh, Jeff Cavins. Yeah. One I of stole those particular ones from Jeff Cavins. Yeah, those manna witches I made up myself. I'm proud to add that to <laughs> <laughs> a long litany of stupid of puns about manna. But anyway, it was, you know, now it's done. And now they're actually eating harvests from the land and the produce of this land of milk and honey. They don't have to eat the manna anymore. Which would have been very exciting. I mean, like, it's, uh, you know, Lembus bread only goes so long. It only does. So it's a pretty cool moment. In that, and then uh, the manna ceased, which is, yes. which is also interesting, um, again, Eucharistically, when yeah. we start to look, because... Uh, the man- manna is always the, it's the bread from heaven. Yeah. And so it, in some ways now it's the produce of the land and now the the more proximate preparation for yes. the Eucharist is going to oh, begin. Good. So whereas this is remote and a, a longer foreshadowing. That's a really good point. 
And so the oh. the produce of the land, and then That's that cool. the yield of the land of Canaan, man, that must have felt good to plant some crops there. Seriously. Like, oh man, I need to settle down, man. Which they're not doing yet, but they're eating they're eating somebody's crops. <laughs> they're just camped out. <laughs> uh, yes. Which is a great lead into the psalm. Then, if you're if you're thinking about how that reading ends, that they're not eating manna, this kind of temporary reality is done with. They're eating produce now, milk and honey. And then what does the psalm say? Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. You've been looking at it. It's been over there. You've been able to see it, but now you can taste and see it. And not just see uh, it, not just be looking across a river at it, as you have been for 40 years anymore. Oh, yeah, because they probably walked the borders. They're oh, like, yeah. Can we go down, Lord? <laughs> nope. <laughs> no. And you're like, ah. sit down. <laughs> you know, Are we there yet? And he's like, no. Nope. <laughs> Looks good Are, over there. Are we there yet? Nope. Are we there yet? Nope. Are we there yet? <laughs> Dude, it's like I'm the turning this... GPS off. Promised land around and going back to Egypt. (laughs) So it's cool. So the psalm's kind of a good... The psalm doesn't make that much sense unless you you kind of put yourself in their shoes and realize what they've been staring at and now what they get to partake in. Which is, again, all this is leading us to the gospel. So it's cool. It is. And and now I I have to confess something to you, Scott. Confess it. I can't Um, give you absolution, but... I I need to be... I I can't find the reconciliation... With the second reading and the rest of the uh, stuff. Uh, pun, pun, pun. Really? Is that true or is that not true? No. Or did you just, just wanted to make a pun? I just wanted to make a pun. Puns are sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pundit. Did I say banana banana bread yet? Banana. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's my favorite one. <laughs> banana bread. That might have been Tom Smith. Mananama. 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 That's actually always what I hear when I hear that. Manana Manana. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so the second reading. This is cool. Do you want to hear something interesting about this? Always. Always. Well, here's one thing. There's lots to say about this, but that first line. So brothers, this is second Corinthians, by the way. Brothers and sisters, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Again, this is what's going on in the first reading, right? The old stuff has passed away. There's, like you said, it's a new creation story. The seventh day, this new Passover, all this stuff. But there's um, there's debate about this. But one of the things I, I was looking at, and somebody somebody else showed me this. I forget where I read it or heard it. But And I, I dug in. If you look at the grammar, so this was written in Greek originally. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the grammar of that line, whoever is in, in Christ is a new creation, it's actually possible grammatically to read it because there's, there's no... Uh, the prepositions are weird in Hebrew, but you can actually read it as saying whoever is in Christ, new creation, without the is a. So meaning to say wherever Christ is or wherever there is a baptized, new creation is actually blooming all around. Oh. That the new creation is present. Not just whoever is in Christ, he's a new creation, but that new creation is all around. Which, it's it's you know debatable whether you should read it that way, but it's interesting in well, the grammar. Well, this is a uh, in in some ways that actually goes to some of Saint Paul's theology oh, totally. too, because totally. Saint Paul is like, what we are talking about is a new heavens and a new earth. Yeah, which as soon as you take the cosmological view of what happened at the crucifixion, especially with the tearing of the temple curtain in two, I mean, yeah. is is this four-inch thick crazy thing, this supernaturally oh, yeah. torn um, image of the cosmos. Totally. That, and that, the earthquakes and the sun, you know, the clouds and the darkness. And, I mean, creation itself is flipping out during the cre- during the crucifixion. Yeah. yeah. And so this is whoever, is, whoever is in Christ, new creation. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah. 
I like it. I really like it. it I mean, scholars debate that, and people get mad about it, but I think it, it's cool. It, it does feel a little caveman, though. <laughs> it does, but... Whoever's in Christ, new creation! New creation! Dude, it sounds like the soup Nazi from Seinfeld. It does. New yeah. creation for you! New creation. Dude, it would be fun to, like... Um, it would be fun to... Uh, Make a song like a call and response <laughs> song. Whoever is in Christ, new, new creation. creation. Whoever is in Christ, new creation. Or we could just rally at like some, you know, <laughs> some <laughs> other other religion's temple. <laughs> nice. Whoever is in Christ, new creation. Whoever is in Christ, new creation. They're like, how long do we do this, guys? <laughs> <laughs> it's like what they do at Jericho when they're marching around the city for seven. Oh yeah, we said so we do it seven do times. <laughs> nice. We need trumpets though too. I know. <laughs> Yobel is the Hebrew word for trumpet. Yobel. That's where we get the term the jubilee. Yobeli. The year of the trumpet sounding. I um. Let's get trumpet. I remember that there was a, a girl that I knew in high school that played at the um, Casa Bonita um, mariachi band in Seriously? trumpet. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and our goal for much of my youth was trying to figure out how we could get up there, dive into the water at Casa Bonita and somehow make it, make it outside before getting caught. Dude, that's, we can plan that. We had, we had intense plans going on, man. I'm sure we had paperwork, we had maps, we had all sorts of stuff. I mean, we were serious. Dude, that is serious. Never happened. I went to I went to Cosmonita just the other day. I it's wanted, terrible, isn't it? Well, I wanted to get in, but then I didn't want to buy the bad Mexican food. <laughs> no, it's so bad. And it's like expensive, but it's a ticket, man. I know. It's a, it's your ticket to the glory, man. Cosmonita, man, that was happening. It's a lag tight room, man. <sighs> I wanted to have my priestly ordination there. <laughs> my reception for my priestly ordination. If you guys aren't in Colorado, you don't know what we're talking about, but just watch the uh, South Park episode and you'll be fine. Is there one? Oh yeah, dude. The South Park Casabonita as episode is like legendary. I don't ever promote watching South Park because no. it's dirty and bad. Yep. Except for the South Park episode. Actually, I don't even. Yeah, it's probably dirty and bad too. I'm it's, sure it is. But that's just, that's your caveat. We no. don't endorse it. But if you end up there, if you happen to find yourself in Casabonita at South Park, check it out. It's not our fault. Nope. So reconciliation. I mean, that that's the whole story of the first reading, though, isn't it? That it they've is. now been reconciled. That there is a second chance. They had to wait a long time for it, but there is a second chance now. That they're reconciled. There's a new creation. There's a new opportunity, and and there they are. Do you know that? Which I, is what the second reading says. I read this um, after my conversion, and I was actually a UNC ambassador. Really? Um, yeah. So I was up in in Greeley. Did you have the big hair. I had the big hair. I had a big afro, and and then I would give t- church tours to people. But I made sure that I mean church tours. I mean um, university tours. Okay. I was gonna... <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. I did university tours, and uh, I I remember my ambassador shirt was like way too tight, and I had this big afro, and <laughs> and it was like Peter Musset, UNC ambassador. And then I read this, and I was like, that's. I was like, and it was like further proof to me that I was supposed to be a priest. Is that is that I was wow. I so much loved being an ambassador for the university that I was like, did I do I get to be an ambassador? for Christ and give tours now but nice. of, of the heavenly things and so nice I just figured I'd add that little piece in there it's a little personal step I love it so we are ambassadors for Christ that's cool go you ambassador <laughs> I like rolling my R's in the liturgy by the way except for somebody called me out and they said they like how I rolled my R's in the liturgy you do it in the liturgy I do Resurrection. I've never noticed it. Yeah, yeah, I know. But then he noticed it, and now I can't do it without like stumbling over my rolling R's. Bummer. I know, and it's been years, but it sucks when somebody points it out. I know. I can't. I won't be able to hear. I saw, um, you know, those. Well, you don't use Facebook, but there's this thing called Catholic memes, which are these funny little things. But there was one with a baby just saying, 
you will not hear a homily. You will not hear another homily for the next five years. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's true. Because I haven't, so I haven't heard much of mass for the last four years. Well, you get it here. I do. I get it now. You just. I'm, I'm with that mom who gave that comment a while ago. I don't hear anything in mass. I try to. Although Sam, well, never mind. The family stories. My kids are cute. My son loves mass. Yeah. It was great. He had the best mass of his life last Sunday. He did. He was so engaged. And then he held up something. He started yelling, the Lamb of, with the priest. He was like, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, man. That cool. dude is, that dude's hooked. I know. I'm going to keep working him to be a priest. Uh, it won't take much necessarily. No, it it's funny. We went skiing on Sunday. Lily was in heaven. It was freezing cold. It was a blizzard. And Lily was in heaven skiing. Samuel was miserable and cold. And then we went to mass that night. Lily could not behave in mass. And Samuel was in heaven at mass and super engaged. It's just funny. Kids are kids are weird. Kids are cool. And kids sometimes wander off and have Big, to come back. Good segue. You are the master of segues today, aren't you? <laughs> Look at you. I do not own a Segway, which is the only real use for a Sterling engine, by the way. Can you imagine you just going around campus and to and from the rectory and the church on a Segway? You know, I... That would change your life, man. It really would. It's it's really... a Segway. It's really funny because I was talking with somebody... You won't need to borrow the Civic anymore. (laughs) Dude, I'm going to do a cross-country trip on a Segway, but I was talking about how I wanted to ride a pony around campus... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and how would be that priest who just rides the pony places? Can you? Is that legal? No, I don't. It can't be. I don't know, but it would be fun. You and, could be the priest and, who rides the Segway, though. And you could be. put a little Roman collar on the Segway thing, on, oh. like paint it black with a little white stripe. Prodigal son. It's a long gospel reading. One thing we have to say about the prodigal son from the get go. Everybody knows the prodigal sons. Everybody's kind of old hat to people. Yes. But the way this, so Luke fifteen might be one of my favorite passages in the Gospels. Because all of Luke 15 is three different stories about things that are lost and then found. So this is where you get the story of the sheep, the lost sheep, remember who, the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. Yep, and then the woman who loses the coin. The coin, the lost coin, and then this one. Uh-huh. And all these stories, the way it's set up, and, and the gospel jumps, and that's okay, but, the, but it starts out, 15 verse 1, it says, The tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus, but the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then it jumps down to verse eleven, so you miss the other two parables. But which I, which I have to say, there's okay. there's the movie version of Jesus of Nazareth, and he is, uh, uh, I think it's Franco, the Franco Zeffirelli yeah, yeah, one. Yeah. And uh, he, the the way he stages this one being yeah. said is he's actually in the, he's in with sinners and tax collectors in this tent, and yeah. and they're like. And it's kind of like iffy. It's like this iffy situation and he starts preaching it. And like literally it, it brings me to tears every time the way he put wow. it together because um, it's it, it's just it's just really awesome. That's cool. Yeah. So I highly recommend watching that particular. Th- th- that's my favorite part of the whole Zeffirelli. Well, the, the visuals of this scene, I think, are, are crucial. So yeah. I so so look at what it says. It says, so he told that. So to them, Jesus addressed this parable. So the question is always, who is them? Who's he addressing the parable to? The Pharisees and scribes. Well, who's he with? He is with the tax collectors and the sinners. Right. So who is the them? The tax collectors and the sinners. But what did you just say? The, you Pharisees, just said the Pharisees and the selectors. <laughs> so who's the them? I think that they're all together. I think that they're all together too, which is really important. I mean, it might sound like a small point, but the them, I think is really crucial. So I, I always picture... 
and I didn't see the Zeffirelli movie, but I always picture here's Jesus, you know, he's in somebody's house or a tent with all the sinners and tax collectors. And I picture the Pharisees and the scribes all kind of outside, like eavesdropping and like peeking in the windows. And Jesus knows that they're there and he knows that they're kind of peeking in and grumbling. So he addresses the story to both, which especially for the lost sheep one, that's why I'm always sad the lost sheep one isn't there, but the lost sheep one, I mean, the Pharisees were the ones who self-declared themselves the shepherds of the people. So you get the story about a shepherd who leaves the one sheep, or the 99 sheep to go after the one who's lost, to go find it and then rejoices when he found it. I mean, what's Jesus doing? Well, Jesus is with the lost sheep of Israel who's outside listening at the doors, the self-proclaimed shepherds. What haven't they done? Found their lost sheep. <laughs> so I think it was, it'd be like a knife stab to the heart. And Jesus is saying, look, I did your job. You're the shepherds. You didn't find your lost sheep, but I did. And now you're standing outside making fun of them. So it, it would really, I mean, it's, it's a good message for the sinners and tax collectors that yes, God will find you and that's good. But I think it's almost more for those guys saying, look at what you, look at what you failed to do and look at what I did. So it's beautiful. And then we get to the prodigal son story and he drives it home even more. Huge. Yeah. And he goes and he launches in. Do you know my, my little gig that I was doing on the prodigal son story? No. I was getting annoyed because it's one of those things I tell a lot whenever I give a talk or teach a class on the prodigal son. So there's, there's a story. Uh, in the ancient world, with the, you know, one of the things that made you a good rabbi in Jesus's time was not your ability to teach original ideas, but it was your ability to quote other rabbis. And rabbis, that's why you know, rabbis were all sitting sitting around saying, "Well, as the great rabbi so and so once said, da 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 da," which is why they're so, they're so shocked. Remember, there's one point in the Gospels where they're shocked that Jesus is speaking of his own authority. Yeah, in the Gospel of Matthew, because that wasn't really done. What is this a new teaching? Yeah, exactly. People just regurgitated old teaching and give the new twists and things. So one of the most popular stories that the ra- one of the popular stories, one of the stories rabbis were telling went like this. And it said there was a man who had two sons, and one day the younger of the sons came to his father and said, "Father, give me the share of the inheritance that comes to me." And the father gave the inheritance to his son, and he went off and he squandered on loose living. And when the son spent it all, he came to be in want, and he joined himself to a member of that country and he, he started uh, he was feeding the swine which is the lowest thing a Jewish man could do, right? The pigs are unclean. And he found himself longing after what the pigs were eating. And he came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food enough to spare, but here I am languishing after what the pigs are eating. So I'll get myself together. I'll go back to my father and I'll say, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Take me back as one of your hired servants. So while the son was still a long way off, the father spotted him. And as the son approached the gates of the city, the father went out to meet him. And when he got to the gates of the town, he fell on his face and he said to his father, Father, I'm sitting at seminary before you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Take me back as a hired servant. And his father looked at him and he took a pot of rotted vegetables and he dumped them out at his son's feet. And he said, so are you to me. You're dead to me. You're not my son anymore. Leave here and never come back. And that was one of the most popular stories that was being told in Jesus' time because for them, in a lot of ways, it embodied what the just father would do. How dare the son shame the family, squander the inheritance? I mean, the inheritance was land, and land was what went back to the the first reading. It was all the the promised land that God gave them. That's a big deal. How dare you squander that? So that was a story that was being told, and people said, that's a good father. So when Jesus shows up, and he starts saying there was a man who had two sons, I'm sure everybody was saying, oh, yeah, it's this one again. What's going to be his little twist? You know, how's he going to apply it? And when he gets to the end of the story, and instead the father runs to his son, embraces him, puts, puts a coat, ring on his finger, some sandals on his feet, and the robe. And the robe. But yeah. why would he do that? that? That's always my question. Well, I think he would do it because 
everybody else in town is going to tear him up. Well, more than that, other people in town actually had the legal right to essentially excommunicate him, like the father in the first story did. So the older brother, for example, could meet him at the gates of the city, pour out the rotted vegetables and say, you are never welcome back here. So I think, I mean, the father, you know, we always picture the father running because he's so happy and so excited. I think the father's running because he knows he has to get there first. Because if somebody else makes it, they're either going to tear him limb from limb or they're going to kick him out and say, never come back. So the father sprints, which is something that a, a noble Jewish person would never do in those times. Why? Because you have the long robes. You have to hike him up, right? And <laughs> you look like an idiot with your beard flopping. But he does and he runs because he has to get there before everybody else does. And then he puts the robe on the ring on, basically saying, if you touch him, you're touching me. If you mess with him, you're messing with me. And he gives him his authority because, again, everybody else would want to tear him apart. So it's a pretty profound image. Well, which also speaks to the whole thing that was happening with the Pharisees and the scribes looking at Jesus dining with them. They want to tear him apart. I mean, that's that's the whole thing is they want to excommunicate all these tax collectors and sinners because they were preventing the fulfillment of Israel's true destiny by violating the covenant and then by having covenantal meals right like the, this is there this is like the biggest this is so in your face to totally. the whole pharisees and scribes project th- Absolutely. Th- that uh that jesus to even utter this is is like i mean it must have burned bad oh yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> Man, he did he did good, but then he's and then he speaks to them, and then he speaks yeah, to them exactly. directly, and he's like, "Oh, you want you want some of this?" And he's they're like, "We've always been with you," and then right. Jesus is saying, "Everything I have is yours. I've given you all the grace, all of the the world's treasure, right. the prophets, the land, the, the Torah, the, the Torah, law, everything, and yeah. and and you still think that you're a slave." Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's the point, right? The, the younger son doesn't understand the father because he thinks that his father will take him back as a slave. The older son doesn't understand the father because he already thinks he is a slave. And so it's, you know, people have said this shouldn't be called the story of the prodigal son. It should be called the story of the just or the, the merciful father. It's really not about the son. It's about how great the father is. Both the sons are slime bags. They're, all, they're both idiots who don't realize who their father is, which is kind of the problem in our world, isn't it? I mean, we... How many of us grew up with this image of God who's just kind of waiting there for us to screw up and just to get mad at us and mm-hmm. cast us off, right? Which yeah. is why everybody was so such a big fan of the first story, because that's how we look at God sometimes. He's just waiting there for us to kick us out and yell at us. And, and throw some of us vegetables. And throw rotten vegetables at our face. And some of us are like the Pharisees, and we're waiting for God to do that to somebody else. Like, didn't you see what that person did? Didn't you see what my brother did? You know, how, oh, what a slime ball. He's going to get his, you know, punishment. Or we do that. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It's so potent, I think. And that's that's the thing. I mean, go back to the first reading, right? You had this whole nation who <laughs> sinned utterly. I mean, God freed them through these miraculous things, and they started worshiping a calf, which was a god of Egypt. And their backs, I mean, that's a horrible thing. But even in the Old Testament, God is already welcoming them back and doing the unthinkable and blessing them and welcoming them to the promised land and doing all this stuff. He's been imaging it for them. Exactly. Yeah, and they actually get to go to the promised land. They, the, 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 you know, and the produce of the land that they eat right. is not rotten vegetables. Right. The, you know what I mean? Well, and he leads them into the land, and he gives them beautiful food to eat, to dine on, to feast with. And then the New Testament, you fast forward. What does God do to reconcile us now? He gives us a new kind of food to eat, but it actually is God Himself. So there's a new promised land with a new harvest and a new sort of supernatural food that we get to dine on. In the family meal, which happens to be a lamb. 
Wow. Yeah, it's cool. Well, I always feel like we end these podcasts and my mind is just totally blown Me and, too. and filled with like this uh, contemplation of this, the profoundness of the mystery mm. and we're like doing it. And so I hope that that's where you guys end up too. It always, it always builds, stick with us to the end and you know yeah. that the goods are coming. They're coming. <laughs> you had to bear with us through a lot of other Yeah, <laughs> baloney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all right. It comes. Well... Thanks for bearing with the baloney, and we uh, bless you <laughs> and uh, bless the Lord my soul. His goodness is enduring forever. Indeed. We'll see you all next week. Email us at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. And that's that. Peace out. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.